Everybody else, if you have your Bible this morning, uh, invite you to the book of Isaiah. It's chapter 9 that we're going to be in today, Isaiah chapter 9. And um, if you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Feel free to go grab one, and you can borrow it or keep it. Either way, it's fine with us. Uh, if you are a user of the Bible app, you can find our live event um, by searching Heritage Park Bible Church um, and uh, track along with the scriptures and sermon notes and all that kind of stuff. So uh, we're picking up today uh, the, the Advent theme of joy. I want to just uh, pause here for just half a second um, before we actually light the candles and, and uh, have you ponder this question with me. If, if a person was to be identified as a Christian in today's world, in our particular cultural setting, how would they be identified as a Christian? Just pause, think, think, think. If you're going to identify a person as a Christian, how would they be identified as a Christian today? Um, I think two ways primarily that the culture identifies Christians, neither of which are awesome, but they do identify them this way. Number one, uh, things that you stand against. Who you're against, who you feel like you hate or whatever. That's one way. Second way, big in the news right now, who you voted for or would vote for. And then you've got this conspiratorial approach of Jesus that says, they will know that you are disciples of mine by your love. And that the people who follow Jesus are marked by joy. Not what they're against, not who they voted for, but instead love and joy. Funny enough, you know what the last two candles of Advent are? Love and joy. In fact, these two things tie together pretty often. The fruit of the Spirit is love Oh, joy. See, those two things go together. So today we're going to pick up this theme of joy, and the next week we'll take on love. If you've never been a part of a church that um, lights Advent candles, uh, I wasn't either until I came here. Um, but we as a church, we do this as a symbol. It's, it's just a visual uh, cue for us to remember these things. So we start with the candle of hope. And when we light the candle of hope, when we light, there we go. Uh, when we light the candle of hope, what we remember is, is that God is a God who keeps his promises. Those promises that God has made are either true already, have come true already, or they will come true. There is nothing that you and I face that the promises of God are untrue in. There's no circumstance, no situation, no scenario, no place where we find ourselves where we can't stand and say the promises of God are true today. And what that births in us, what that comes, draws up out of us is hope. God keeps his promises. We have hope because God keeps his promises. Last week, we talked about the candle of peace. This visual cue reminds us that you and I, we have peace because God is in control. Um, the, the shalom, the peace that God brings to us is this sense of wholeness. Our circumstances, they may be unwhole. They may lack a sense of wholeness, but you and I, we can live with wholeness even in the midst of our stuff. Why? Because we know that God is in control. You and I can stare at the mountain and say, that is one big honking mountain. Thankfully, I know a God who's bigger than that. 
we can stare over the precipice and say, that is a big, dark, scary hole. Thankfully, I know a God who's bigger than that. There is a monster who's come my way, who's invaded our life, invaded our family, whatever. Thankfully, I know a God who's bigger than that. We can have peace, this sense of wholeness, because God is in control. And today, we light the candle of joy with this in mind. You and I can have joy today because God is who he says he is. He's not who we want him to be. He's not who we voted him to be. He's not who, if we collectively got together and drew him to be, he is who he is, and that is a source of joy for you and me. We can have joy because God is who he says he is. So here in Isaiah chapter 9, I was thinking about it this week, uh, thinking about this theme of joy and thinking about um, how you and I um, could identify joy in our own lives and in the lives of others. And this is the text that we come to. I'm going to read the first three verses. We're really going to camp on verse three, and then we'll try to expand it a little bit for some context. Here we go. Isaiah 9 verse, uh, verses one to three. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Verse 3, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Now, let's pause here. If you and I were going to identify joy, for me, I think we lock into verse 3. You've multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. When you and I um, go to identify joy, when we try to understand what this looks like, what, what would it look like? I think verse three helps us. Um, I picked this phrase up from a song that we've, we've uh, started singing around here. And I think the first way that this shows up in your life and my life, this identifier for joy is this whole idea of reckless praise. Reckless praise. That's, so here in verse three, um, <clears throat> they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. Now, I did not grow up on a farm. Most of us did not. Not none of us, but most of us did not. So ha- how do, how do people rejoice before God as like the joy at a harvest? Like how does that reckon for you and for me? Well, I, I, there's another uh, verse in the Psalms. David put it poetically in, in, in Psalm 4, and it says something like this. Just start picking up on some of these things. You put more joy in my heart than they have when wine and grain abound. You put more joy in my heart than that they have when, when their grain and their wine about. So you get the idea, like, there's a party, right? I mean, that's, that's what this feels like. And indeed, when we're talking about a harvest, that's what they're talking about, is this sense of a party. And in Leviticus chapter 23, don't look it up, but you can just jot it down and go find it later. You've got this whole idea of the, the Feast of Booths, where for a whole week, day one was a solemn day, day eight was a solemn day, but all the days in between, they partied. And the Bible says specifically, there was feasting before God. Can you imagine having a week-long potluck? I mean, like, that's what we're talking about, okay? Like, over and over and over again, just, I mean, feasting upon feasting, joy, gladness, 
and gratitude. And they lived, for the, for the Feast of Booths, they actually lived in tents out in front of their houses uh, to remind themselves of the common story that they had, that they had been in Egypt in slavery, had been delivered, and God had seen them through the wilderness and into the promised land. I mean, they lived that so that they could have this common story, but there was a sense of gladness, and there was this sense of gratitude in the middle of this week-long party that showed up in the sacrifices that they made and the enjoyment that they had of one another. And, and I want to... Um, just try to paint, like, okay, so still, though, Feast of Booths, Old Testament, I mean, you just quoted Leviticus, like, I don't, I still, I'm not sure I get rejoicing before you as with joy at the harvest, so um, modern day examples of this. Um, Anybody ever been to a wedding reception? Wedding reception people, thank you, okay, good, we've all been. Anybody been to a wedding, don't, if they're in the room, don't raise your hand, a wedding reception that was lame, Okay, 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 don't just put that, okay. Anybody been to a wedding reception, though, where you talked about it for the next three days, where you're like, you should have been there, man, it was great. Anybody with me on that? Like, what, what do you have when you have a wedding reception that's awesome like that? You have gladness, and you have joy, and there's um, happiness, and there's gratitude that you're getting to be a part of it, and there's feasting, and there's drinks, and there's a dance floor where people can embarrass themselves. I mean, there's all of this stuff that is happening, right? There's just this sense a party. And when a, when a uh, wedding reception is done right, there's a sense of holiness about it, but it's still very much a party. It's a holy party. It's, it's this gladness and gratitude for the event that you got to share. Something that comes close to that. Uh, I, I was in Chicago uh, last week of October we're eating pizza. There's TVs up. There's, I don't know, 10 or 12 of people around this table. And uh, at, at my end of the table, as the TV is displaying, George Springer steps, steps up and goes yard. And there was rejoicing with stuff being thrown and me jumping up and down and a couple of the people in Chicago looking at me like, are you okay down there? I mean, there was just this sense of, this is going to happen, right? There's this sense in which, which you were a little bit overcome by this. You were a whole lot grateful for this and you can't believe that this is actually happening. That's what we're talking about when it says, um, they rejoice before you as with the joy at the harvest. Now, inherent in, in both of those examples, both the wedding reception and this kind of Astro's victory, is this, is this focus. Like we're locked onto something. We're not just kind of willy-nilly running around trying to pretend that we're joyful all the time. That's, that's not what this is about. It's not, it's not that. There's a focus. And indeed, for the focus of of the wedding reception, you say things like, oh, look at the happy couple. Oh, isn't the bride beautiful? Oh, look, the, 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 the groom, he hung in there. Good for him. You know, I mean, whatever you say in that moment. Uh, or, you know, ghost rose, or we're going to make it, or you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, there's a focus. And indeed, when it came to uh, um, the, the feast and the rejoicing, it says here, uh, rejoicing before you is with joy at the harvest. There is a focus. There's a focus, and that focus is God. And that's where our reckless praise gets out of kind of the ether and brings it down for you and for me. Our reckless praise is focused on God. 
You want to know how a person knows if they have joy, one of the things that you can look at is their praise of God. So let me just ask that question of you and for me. How would you define or describe your praise of God these days? Reckless? Or you just, I'm willing to put everything aside to give God the glory that he is due. Is there a sense in you that because of all the mercy that he's shown us like we just sang about, because all the things that he's done in the past, the way he's fulfilled his promises and moved in our lives and rescued us and all these kinds of things, the way that he's done all of those things, is there a sense in which things, when the music starts, if you will, things begin to happen, your, your chin kind of lifts up and your countenance, the countenance of your face changes and your your body begins to shift in some manner where you're you're responsive to this praise that's going on you begin to feel this this freedom if you will rather than this constriction or formality would you describe your praise as reckless as a holy party as one who is rejoicing before god as with the joy at harvest it is not, joy, it's not frivolous, okay? We're not talking about being silly. Nobody's forming a conga line and dancing from one side to the other. That's not what we're after. The kind of joy and reckless praise that we're talking about could very well come in the middle of the most somber song. How many of you have had this experience before? Maybe not with this song or with another one, but you've got this, you start singing, it is well with my soul. You know that song? It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. And you have this sense. Your hands are on the front there and you start singing. And then it starts building in you. And you're like, yes, it is well. Yes, it is. It is well with my, and all of a sudden things just kind of change around you and in you. That's what reckless praise kind of feels like. It's not frivolous. It could come in the most somber moments, but that's what that joy begins to erupt out of you. That's what that can feel like. It's not frivolous, and it's not unaware of the, or blind to the circumstances that are around us. It is clear-eyed. It can say, hey, listen, sometimes the sea billows really do roll, and I get washed up in them, but I can still say it's well. It's well with my soul. Joy knows God is who he says he is, even when my circumstances are what they are. Reckless praise. But he doesn't stop there. Uh, he says at the end of verse 3, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. They are glad when they divide the spoil. Um, we're rejoicing before God as, as they're glad when they divide the spoil. What are we talking about? Well, you know, the vic- to the victors, you know the saying, to the victors go the spoil. So indeed, um, you know, uh, they'd go out to battle, they'd win the battle, they got to take all the stuff home with them, right? And they'd kind of heap it up and they'd start doling it out to people. Oh, you need some of that? You need some of that? You need some of that? This could have been a Lord of the Flies moment, right? Where you grab everything that you can and you go running back to your tent to hoard it. That's not what this says. They're rejoicing before God as with those who do what? The spoil. Hoard the spoil? No, divide the spoil. So I say that another identifier for joy based upon Isaiah here is not just reckless praise, but this sense of selfless sacrifice. I am willing to give up more than you know, I can hold on to. I'm willing to do more. I'm willing to give more. I'm willing to um, entrust more to other people rather than just hoard it all. Selfless sacrifice. Um, 
certainly, well, I, let me just pause here. Like we, you and I, we need to fight this mentality in us um, that says uh, this scarcity mentality that would cause us to hoard and grab and run away because when we do that, what we're proving is we really don't trust God. What we're proving is um, that we really think, oh, God's never gonna give me another victory. I better hold on to everything that I can right now. That's a terrible way to live. And it's a terrible reflection on who God actually is. Fight that scarcity mentality. Don't, don't, don't be like that. Um, can I just hopefully put some people at ease here? Yes, this has to do with money and material possessions at some point. Yes, it does. God connects these later through Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. God loves a joyful or cheerful giver. That's true. But it's much broader than that. The immediate context here in Isaiah 9 deals with material stuff, but it's even more than that. It's this worldview of obedience. That's what we're after here. And so can we flip over, if you have your Bible, to the book of Hebrews and look at chapter 12, a couple of verses here. I just want you to see, if you know any verses in Hebrews, my guess is this is probably them. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, don't miss that, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated now at the right hand of the throne of God. So just selfless sacrifice, when it relates to a, a joy is a marker for this, is an identifier. Selfless sacrifice says this, hey, there are some things that I'm willing to, to lay aside. I'm willing to lay aside sin because it promises joy, but it never delivers. And I am willing to lay aside, it says, every weight, all these other things. These things may be good, they may be bad, they may be indifferent, but they keep me from a greater joy. I'm willing to set aside sin because it promises and can't deliver, and I'm willing to set aside these other weights that, that are good, baby, that are good, but they don't, uh, they don't allow me to experience greater joy. And in doing so, I'm going to look to Jesus, it says the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him. He also laid aside sin and the temptation to, to go a different route. He lived a sinless life. He knew that sin promised things and it could never deliver on. That's why, that's why he was done. He set all that aside. He lived sinlessly. And he set aside other things that sometimes were good things in order to have greater joy. He, he laid aside the temptation um, uh, to, to go a different way than the cross, and he laid aside um, other things as well in order to experience full joy. It says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and despised its shame and now is seated at the right hand of God. And so when you and I do the same, when you and I um, uh, selflessly sacrifice, we ultimately follow Jesus and uh, like he did as he went to the cross. So here's the kind of diagnostic question. Do, do you, how would you describe your sacrifice right now? Better than that, how would somebody who knows you well describe your sacrifice? 
your level of sacrifice? Would they say, hey, listen, um, for the joy that was set before her, she gives her life away. Or, man, I'm not saying he never sins. I'm just saying temptation doesn't seem to affect him much because his joy is so full. It's so full that it just doesn't seem to have much pull on his life. Reckless praise and a selfless sacrifice. That helps identify joy. Helps identify joy. So, okay, so if you are like me, I got to the end of this part of my study and I got to thinking, okay, so if I'm looking at myself going, okay, I I probably need some more joy in my life. Where do I go find that? Like Walmart? Is that where I go? They sell everything else. Do I just run down there? It's right next to the towels or somewhere. Just pick up some extra joy. Like where do I go find some? Most of the time, I think we misdiagnose this issue. And I'll just give you a brief example um, uh, uh, from from my own life as silly as it may be. Uh, a year or two ago, I can't remember exactly, uh, my wife's minivan, when she, we'd get up to speed in it and then we'd go to hit the brakes, it would burp, 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 a little bit, be some vibration, and the vibration kept getting worse. I, being the smart one and knowing absolutely zero about cars, nothing, I'm a car idiot. I go online because Google knows everything, right? And you get into a Honda forum and you figure out they don't know anything either because they said, oh, it's the struts. And I'm like, oh, baby, it's the struts. We'll just get that fixed at some point. No big deal. She, on the other hand, being the smart one of the two of us, picked up the phone, and if I remember right, called the Paddock family, who actually know a few things about cars, and said, hey, listen, this is what's happening. What's going on? And to his credit, the 20-year-old said, sounds like the rotors to me. I'm like, struts. It's got to be the struts. We get past it. It keeps getting worse. I take it into Christian Brothers down here in Friendswood. We roll in. I'm like, hey, man, just need you to check out the struts in my wife's minivan because I looked online, and that's what it says. Got this vibration. He goes, well, that could be the struts. Let us drive us around. We'll he, he calls my cell phone. I'm not kidding, 15 minutes later, which I'm like, this is not good. They've already diagnosed that. That's bad. He calls my cell phone 15 minutes later. Well, Mr. Henderson, it wasn't the struts. That's the good news. The bad news is it was the rotors. Yes, it was. They were warped and worn down and blah, 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 all car stuff that I didn't understand. So number one, my wife was right. uh, And secondly, they got it fixed. I, on the other hand, completely misdiagnosed this entire thing. I thought it was here and it ended up being something else altogether. I thought the issue was right here, clear. It ended up being something altogether. I think when people approach joy, if they're feeling joyless, sometimes they think the problem is living up here somewhere and they need to go find more joy. My experience as a pastor and right here in the text is it's a different place altogether. Here's why. Those who experience joy are those who experience grace. We think we might have a joy problem I'm telling you, diagnostically, it's most likely, typically, it's a grace problem. Those who experience joy are those who experience grace. And I use that in the present tense, like right in this moment, you are experiencing the grace of God. And so let's just briefly um, look back at Isaiah chapter 9. I'll just point out a few things to you that I think is right here in the text. Ah, Come on. Isaiah chapter 9. Those who experience joy experience grace. And here's, here are some of the ways that we experience grace. In, in chapter 8, 
three different times from verse 11 on, three different times, um, the prophet speaks and what he says is, hey, listen, don't listen to those yahoos who are out there yapping. Instead, listen to the word of God. In verse um, 12, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. Verse 13, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. Verse 16, bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. Verse 20, to the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They don't have light. They don't have a sense of what's really going on. In other words, there are people in our world world who will say whatever they think needs to be said in a moment in order to get attention or make money or any other number of motivations and they will talk and they will talk and they will talk and they will talk and God says listen listen to me instead and if you and I are going to be people who experience grace let's be a kind of people who experience grace through this that God speaks to us through his word God speaks to us that is grace for you and for me. Now, church, listen, it is coming to, um, uh, uh, Christmas time. New Year's is around the corner. Many, not all, but many will say, hey, one of the New Year's resolutions I want to hold on to is I want to read my Bible more. Yes, let's be a people who read our Bibles more. Why? Because in it, we find the grace of a God who speaks to us. You could roll up on Monday morning, Thursday morning, Sitting there getting coffee. Hey, you need some more coffee? Yeah, 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 I need some coffee. God, Lee, you seem excited today. Yeah, you know why? God spoke to me this morning. And he did so from his word. It is grace that he has given us his word. And we can experience his grace as he speaks to us. Our joy problem is not typically a joy problem. It's a grace problem. Let's let it start. Let's experience the grace that he has for you and for me letting him speak to us through his word. That's not the only place. Look down at verse two. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shown. He not only speaks to you, but he also seeks after you. He is in hot pursuit of you. He seeks after you. You didn't, you didn't wake up one morning and decide, hey, I think I'll follow God today. No, 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 no. God sought you. Oh, you know, today's Tuesday. I think I'll just get up and love God today. No, God loved you first. That's why you loved him. So he seeks after you. Jesus said this in, in Luke 19.10 at the end of his interaction with Zacchaeus. He says, the son of man came to seek and to save that which is lost. That's why he comes. He comes after you and me to seek us so that we could be in relationship with him. You want to know what God's doing right now? He's seeking some of you. He's seeking some of you. That's grace, folks. That's not something we earned. That's something that he decided to do. Verse four, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder. See, that's right after the joy part. Why, why, why are they joyful? Because for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you've broken is on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult, every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Don't get lost in the imagery. Just know this, that you and I, we live with a God and we follow after a God who fights for us. He battles for us. Every day, He's fighting on our behalf. Nowhere is that more clear 
and shown more clearly than at the cross of Jesus. Why? Because he did battle with our two greatest enemies, sin and death. And he paid for our sin, and he rose from the dead to defeat death. Listen, he battles for us on our behalf. He is for you today, and you need to hear that. That is grace. And lastly, he, he rules. He leads us, and he rules over us. This is where it gets all Christmassy. Here we go. Ready? Verse 6. For us, for to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there shall be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He rules over us, and that's grace for you and for me. The fact that Jesus is in charge of the world is grace for you and for me. That means that there's nothing that you and I are going to face this week that he's not in charge of. Nothing that you and I are going to experience this week that he can't redeem. No broken place deep down inside of us that he can't restore. He speaks through his word. He seeks after you in pursuit He fights for you, and he rules over us and everything else. You want to know what grace looks like? You want to know what what kind of lights the fire inside so that joy erupts? It's grace. It's grace for you and for me. If you walk out of here, and this is how I was praying for you this morning. If you walk out of here and you think, golly, I need to be more joyful, I need to be more joyful, I need to be more joyful... That never happens that way, by the way. I'm praying that you and I walk out of here saying, man, God, thank you so much for how you've shown me grace. And now let that grace come up inside of me and then begin to pour itself out in reckless praise of who you are and in selfless sacrifice, just like you did. So I'm going to pray. And then we'll have a chance to respond, okay? Can you pray with me? Um, God, I pray for anyone here this morning uh, who does not know your grace. I I pray for anybody here who uh, is not a follower of Jesus. I pray, Father, that you would speak to their hearts right now. And God, I pray also um, for any follower of Jesus who's here who needs something fresh in their life. Spirit, would you blow on them Speak to them, minister to them, let them sense you, experience you in some really fresh way right now. And God, after a year of craziness, of just plain insanity, after a year like that, they would be able to stand, not only and sing, but stand and bear witness, and talk to their friends, speak to their family with a sense of joy in their words because of the grace that you've shown them. Continue to do what is worthwhile doing in this moment, God. I trust you to do that, Father, and I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, 
Amen.